Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Down for Broussard. Broussard. To the front. Beauvillier. Backdoor. Bello scores! Number one for Kiefer Bello. Islanders country. Hello, this is P.T. Isles, the highs and bellows edition. I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to this show and every Lighthouse Hockey podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review. Or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Coming up, we'll speak with filmmaker and podcast host Tyler Gilden. Some of you may know Tyler from his gym podcast, that's Jets Islanders Mets. He has a new project for Whistle Sports, and we'll talk to him about that and get his views on the Islanders in just a little bit. But first, the Islanders' five-game point streak comes to an end in Tampa as they fall to the Lightning 3-1, a game where they were down 2 nothing, got a Broussard power play goal to pull within one goal, but then Steven Stamko scores his first goal as a 30-year-old, an empty netter, for the 3-1 win. Um, I felt going into this game, Islanders with a five-game point streak, that if they were somehow able to get another win against Tampa, this time on the road, and Tampa playing a lot, lot better than they were the first two times they met, this would give you the feeling that things were really starting to to get back to normal, that they had fully righted the ship from a really bad stretch before the All-Star break. And uh, unfortunately, they just did not have enough. Um, only 18 shots in the game, only four shots in that third period. And Andre Vasilevsky is, you know, one of the best goaltenders in hockey. Going to have to do a lot more than that uh, to beat him in the Lightning right now. And I think what worries you a little bit is the same thing that should be encouraging if you're an Islanders fan, is that 
right now, the last two games, the scoring is coming from the bottom six. And we've been starved for that for so, so long. But now it comes at a time where the top six are not generating a lot offensively. So as they head uh, to this back-to-back Monday and Tuesday on the road in D.C. and then back home against the Philadelphia Flyers, it's going to be imperative that the Matt Barzells and the Anders Lees and the Jordan Eberleys and the Anthony Beauvilliers all start to chip in and score offensively. And if you can match that with a much, much improved third line of Broussard and Bellows and Dal Cole, and again, you know, occasionally get what you get from the fourth line with Zizekas or Matt Martin scoring like he did on Thursday night, you know, then the Islanders can, you know, put forth and score those three, four goals a game that sometimes it's going uh, to take to win uh, against some of the better competition in the league. Uh, Barry Trotz after the game, overall, he was. Uh, overall, I think he sounded like he was pretty satisfied with the effort. Um, he said in the post game with with uh, Shannon Hogan that he thought that the four lines played on the right side of the puck most of the night, and that we'll have a chance to win every night if we play that way. Still, he know that both of the Lightning goals before the empty netter were results of uh, defensive mistakes that just can't happen against a team like the Lightning. The first one, obviously, they uh, you know we we walked in, we had a, a chance. You know, they turned Kucherov uh, turned a a puck off the wall and threw it to the middle and they, you know they uh, their transition game was pretty good we got caught on the inside and and point scored and then the second one that one that one bothers me that was that was a lack of, of uh, execution two of our forwards didn't pick up their forwards um, and they uh, drifted in the uh, in the defensive zone so that was a lack of detail that uh, that cost us a, a goal and that was a huge goal at the end so Barry Trotz obviously making a point that that second goal that was scored by Carter Verhage uh, really start really was something that bothered him. I mean, all the owners were in position and they kind of got called looking at each other as he just was able to skate in and beat Varlamov. And uh, many Islander fans may remember that Verhage was Islander uh, property for a while. He was acquired in the Michael Grabner trade when they got five players for Grabner from the Toronto Maple Leafs. But then Verhage was actually traded by Garth Snow to the Lightning for a for an AHL goaltender and, and really blossomed last year in the AHL. He led uh, the AHL in scoring 82 points in 76 games, 34 goals. Uh, last night, his seventh goal, but um, maybe certainly a trade that Garth and the Islanders wish they had back considering uh, some of the uh, forward depth issues that they've had this season. Anders Lee, the captain, met with the media after the game as well. And despite only the 18 shots, he felt, you know, satisfied by the team's effort and felt like the, they were in it and had a chance to win in the end. We didn't give up or anything like that just because just they scored a second goal. I think it's just um, one of those nights comes down to a couple plays. Um, we had our chances and they had theirs and uh, they were just able to convert. And uh, other than that, I think overall it's a solid game. We just got to find a way to, to put a couple more in and, um, tie it up at the end and, and uh, force overtime. But you look at the game as a whole, Vasilevsky uh, played pretty well. So did Varley. Really kept us in it all night and, and gave us a chance at the end to, to tie it up. So the Islanders lose 3-1 to the Lightning. And listen, that's a game that you know you would have loved to win. Tough to beat a team like the Lightning all three times, uh, which would have been the case if they would have won on Saturday night. Um, they're playing very, very well, 75 points now. Tampa for John Cooper's team and uh, you know you look at that division in the Atlantic and you know just because Boston's ahead right now I uh, very well may end up the same way it did last year with the lightning up top that division Boston two 
and the Maple Leafs three, obviously right now they're um, going tooth and nail with the Florida Panthers for that position, uh, that third spot in the Atlantic division. Of course, it wasn't all bad news for the Islanders coming back out of the break, a very long break. Uh, They sputtered there, desperately needed it. Everyone looked exhausted, sounded exhausted. They were able to get three points in those final two games that lost in overtime and shootout with the Carolina Hurricanes and then uh, beating the Rangers in Madison Square Garden to get those two points uh, before the long break. They came out of it, uh, Vancouver, on Saturday, on the Saturday before the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, they, they did what they did in all three games at Barclay Center. They trailed late. Brock Nelson got the goal to tie the game and and the way the expectations are for the Islanders is that if they go to overtime they're going to get that extra point uh, more times than not but it wasn't to be this time with Quinn Hughes with a tricky shot that uh, you know kind of confused and and, and Thomas Rice didn't really see well and beat him early in that overtime extra session so they got one point against a very good Vancouver team uh, that's a top of the Pacific division right now and then you looked at the next couple games and obviously Dallas is a team that uh beat the Islanders earlier in the season, another team that's in playoff position out west. And again, they're trailing there in the third period. They're on the power play. They get what looks like to be the tying goal, but it gets disallowed. Uh, Anders Lee called for goalie interference on Ben Bishop. But uh, the Islanders, who struggle on the power play, not only to get opportunities, but um, to capitalize on them, um, scored again on the same power play. Matt Barzell with the shot between his legs uh, to beat Bishop to tie that game. And then the Islanders did what we expected them to do maybe on the Saturday, which was winning in overtime on the Anthony Beauvillier goal. That was Kiefer Bellows' first game in the NHL. Uh, Bellows gets the call up. We've been waiting for it. For a very long time, what are you going to do? Just do something. How many more goals does this kid need to score at the AHL level? Didn't happen right after the break, but it happened quickly thereafter. He gets the call up and had a good solid game. Uh, That first game against Dallas had a good opportunity in the first period. And uh, he wasn't, you know, listen, I'm not going to act as if the Dalcole Broussard and uh, Bellows line is putting him in the best situation to play. But we've seen other call-ups from the Islanders get you know, really put in a situation where you're going, how is this kid going to be able to generate some offense uh, playing with these two others on his line? That that really should not be the case for Broussard and Dalcold. Now, it's not pairing him with uh, Matt Barzell. It's not pairing him with Brock Nelson. Uh, maybe we see that in a, com- in a couple coming days. But, you know, that third line, for whatever reason, really got it going. And it really started to happen on Thursday night against the LA Kings. Uh, Islanders found themselves down uh, 2-0 after the first period. I actually went to the game on Thursday night, and I was sitting with someone um, for the first period that was attending their first ever Islanders game, just started watching hockey on TV in the last three to four weeks. Um, obviously picking up and learning a lot about the game from Brendan Burke, uh, but still had some questions, some basic ones about icing and offsides and different penalty calls. So I was happy to help out and answer some of those questions. And uh, what's funny was he knew he wanted to go see a game that week in Brooklyn, lives in Brooklyn, and uh, decided to go on to the Thursday night game instead of the Tuesday night game because he noticed that the LA Kings were 29th in the league's power rankings. So he assumed that was going to be uh, an easy Islander victory. And, And as we know, for those of us that have been following the entire season, Playing teams out west, especially bad teams out west, did not necessarily mean the Islanders are going to have a good effort that night. 
and it looked like it was going to be another really disappointing disappointing loss against a lesser opponent. Down 2 nothing. They get the Dal Cole goal, makes it 2-1, give it goal right back, 3-1. But then Kiefer Bellows scores his first ever NHL goal, 3-2 going into the third. Matt Martin scores in the first minute of the third period, 3-3. There you feel like the Kings are on tilt a little bit, and the Islanders are going to have an opportunity to win this game. Probably go into overtime, but it doesn't this time around. And Bellow scores his second of the game from a really difficult shot, especially for a lefty shot, able to find the net. And, you know, two goals in his second NHL game uh, gives the Islanders the 4-3 lead, and then Andrews Lee adds the empty netter. Uh, Really worked hard for that empty net goal as well uh, for the 5-3 victory. And uh, listen, I don't know what the future holds immediately for Kiefer Bellows, but certainly you got to think that they're thinking, all right, well, if if the right move come the trade deadline does not present ourselves, what do we have here? And let's not wait to February 24th where we don't make a deal or are unable to make a deal to bring up um, someone from uh, Bridgeport to help. Let's see what we have right now in Bellows. And and right now the early returns are good. And uh, some of his two-way play is good. The advanced stats that came out of the game on Thursday, he was the top player, top player on the ice. Um, When you looked at all those advanced statistics, as was his third line, and then the third line played a really good, uh, solid game again in Tampa. And it was Broussard on the power play, but Broussard again scoring. So, um, as I said earlier, if the Islanders can get something from that third line and Bellows being a big piece of it, and that and the top six lines, the Nelson line and the Barzell line can score, you know, they tighten up some things defensively that they, they're they starting to get better at. And, you know, all of a sudden the right formula is there again for this team to win a lot of games. Islanders uh, facing a really daunting part of their schedule coming up following the Lightning loss. Capitals on Monday night in D.C., home to the Flyers on Tuesday, so the second half of the back-to-back. I know they've been great in back-to-backs, but still, you know, it's a short travel from D.C., but, you know, that's that's a game right now they need to win based on the standings and how tight things are. And then they go for four straight games, Nashville, Vegas, Arizona, Colorado, nothing easy there. And then maybe get a little bit of a break coming home to face the Red Wings um, before they start uh, a little bit of a homestand against the San Jose Sharks and Rangers. And then, you know, that big West Conf- Western Conference Canada trip is still looming uh, for the Islanders as the calendar turns into into March. And uh, at that point, they would have had the Tonelli night. They would have had the, the Goring night. And you just hope they're at a really good position points-wise as they head on that road trip come early and mid-March. And I think right now, you know, as a fan, you you don't know exactly how to feel about the team because, you know, statistics-wise, points-wise, you know, they're still on a really good pace, but the standings are just so tight in the Eastern Conference, but specifically in the Metro, that it makes you feel very uneasy now. Um, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN tweeted this out earlier today. The Jackets, Islanders, Hurricanes, and Flyers all have more points than the entire Pacific Division and one or more of them are going to miss the playoffs. Um, he's talking about, you know, is there an argument for a 1 through 16 playoff format? That used to be the case, you know, for the for the NHL. Islanders playing a Western Conference team uh, or something like that in the first round back in the, back in the 70s. I, I don't think that's the case anytime soon. But you look at you look at how jam packed the Metro is right now. Of course, you have the Capitals at 77 points. 
leading the division as they have had pretty much the entire year. Uh, Pittsburgh now with Sidney Crosby back, uh, still firing on all cylinder cylinders, 7-3-0 and in their last 10 games. They're at 73 points. And then the Columbus Blue Jackets, I mean, listen, they, they went for it last year, made all those trades, brought back pretty much no one that they uh, brought in to make that uh, that run, got them you know, the sweep against Tampa before falling in the second round of the playoffs to Boston. And here they are with, with two goaltenders um, that no one really knew, maybe outside of NHL, you know, reporters and people that are close to the Blue Jackets putting up outstanding numbers, uh, 137 goals against right now uh, for Columbus. That's better than the Islanders. That's better than the Bruins. Um, some of the stats on Elvis uh, over the last uh, few games, five shutouts in his last eight games, just absolutely remarkable. They're at 69 points. And then the Islanders right now, the first wild card with 68 points, Carolina, Flyers with 67, and then you have the Florida Panthers with 64 points. They're just two points behind uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs for a playoff position. The Islanders do have a couple of games in hand still. That does make you feel a little bit better that most of these teams have played 55, 56 games, and the Islanders have played 53. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're playing a lot of games and, and very little days, and, and, and uh, you know, you want to make sure that you're able to get some points and get some breathing distance you know, talking with Arthur Staple last week, you know, you want to think that these teams are playing some of their best hockey right now and they're going to come back down to earth the same way the Islanders did, um, you know, in, in, in December and January. And, and if so, that allows the Islanders some breathing room to make sure they make uh, make it to the playoffs. I mean, certainly at this point, after a 17-game point streak going 15-0-2, uh, missing the playoffs would be an abject failure. Um, for the entire organization, players, coaches, general manager, etc. Um, but right now, they're still in playoff position. And listen, I'm not going to get too bent out of shape. Um, listen, you would love to have a situation where they can get home ice again like they did last year. Is that still possible? Sure, they're five points out behind behind the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins uh, with, the, with the game in hand. You're going to play them again. So, yeah, that, could, that can certainly happen. That's still in front of them. But the, the reality is there's really not one obvious first round matchup that's in any way going to be easy you know if you finish third and you're playing pittsburgh and playing game one uh in the igloo uh, that's not going to be easy if you're uh playing capitals or playing the lightning in the first round uh that's not going to be easy or the bruins so um at this point uh, i'm not going to get too bent out of shape as to where they finish uh, because it doesn't look like they're going to you know be able to catch washington to win the division um, it's not uh, not a situation like it was back in 2016 where you knew that you were going to have a better uh, chance maybe to get out of the first round if you avoid Pittsburgh and play the Atlantic Division winner that year, the Florida Panthers in the first round. That, that's not going to be the case. Any matchup they have is going to be a really tough matchup for the Islanders and probably a matchup where they're not going to be favored in, and that was going to probably be the case no matter what. So just make the playoffs and see what you can be doing and try to be making and playing your best hockey at that time. And maybe Lou Lamarillo gets them a reinforcement, one or two, to help out. Um, you know, some more trade rumors again um, throughout the course of these last couple weeks. We had the Kings in town, so you know Alec Martinez, Tyler Toffoli, um, potential trade targets there. Then you have the Senator trains with Hainsey and and Pajot being talked about. And I guess more and more, it's becoming clear that you know we've been fo- so focused on on trying to find another scorer. For the Islanders, that uh, another defenseman as well, if that can happen, Lou Lamarillo is going to want that as well uh, for some depth because, you know, Ryan Pulak looked like he got banged up a little bit towards the very end of that game yesterday. I haven't heard anything on it, but, 
you know, they're one defenseman away from and being in real trouble. Uh, one defenseman injury right now is that you're playing Noah Dobson and Sebastian Ajo um, in, in your top six night in and night out. And, and they can't have that. They can't afford that. So it would make sense that whatever the destination and the trade partner that Lou ultimately meets up with, you get the sense that he would like to be able to find a defenseman in that package as well. How much that drives up the price, I don't know. You're going to be dealing with teams that are looking to you know, sell players that are going to be UFAs. You can't be expecting a lot for that type of rental, but um, we'll see how much is too much for Lou Lamarillo uh, as we're now you know, two weeks away uh, from the trade deadline on February 24th. So we'll take a break, take a breath. When we come back, my interview with Tyler Gilden, talk about his new project for Whistle Sports. You're listening to P.T. Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. We're back. P.T. Isles, Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. And something different uh, for this episode, I'm now joined by filmmaker, comedian, podcast host, and more importantly, Islanders fan Tyler Gilden to talk about his latest project for Whistle Sports, the No Days Off podcast, where he takes you behind the scenes with parents of young sports prodigies. Tyler, how you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Definitely uh, appreciate it. Been a big fan of uh, the podcast for quite some time, so it's cool to jump on. Well, we'll get to your your podcast and your new project in just a minute. But first, um, you did host the uh, Jim podcast for quite a bit. That's Jets, Islanders, Mets. I am I am Jim as well, if you pronounce the G a little bit differently. I'm Giants, Islanders, Mets. Thank you, Dad, for that. Uh, so, <laughs> so I have at least a little bit of a taste of victory. Uh, so what's your take so far on this very up and down, uh, playing with your emotions, Islanders season thus far? Yeah, well, yeah, you were, you're definitely lucky to have the, the, the G in there because you did get two uh, Super Bowls uh, uh, out of that in the last uh, decade or so while uh, the Jets did not. Uh, but in terms of this season, yeah, it's such a – it really it, – it's such a weird season because, you know, the Islanders for the majority of it have been a top five, you know, five or six team in the league, yet, you know, because the East and the Metro are just so good, like right now I'm looking at it, and as of today, they're they're eight in the entire league, uh, and you think put them in a good cushy spot, but they're not. They're in the first wild card and only a point, uh, you know, out from from falling to the Flyers. So it's just such a strange season. Uh, the Metro is just so good. Yes, of course. You look at the seventeen game point streak they had, and then obviously they things corrected themselves, and they played not a little, but maybe a lot above their head during that period, and then played under what they're capable of, and. Now they're just in the mix with everyone else, and it's going to be a complete dogfight until the finish. Yeah, and, and my concern is just, you know, playing, you know, inspired hockey. Just because the teams they're competing with now, I just have, feel like they have so much, you know, the Flyers with everything with, you know, Lindbergh and, you know, rallying around that and trying to become a playoff team again. You know, Carolina, uh, you know, Justin Williams comes back, and I just feel like they're always playing 
inspired hockey. Uh, and then you got the Blue Jackets, who I look at are pretty similar to the Islanders last year. You know, big names leave on the offseason, trying to prove everybody wrong. You know, uh, a goalie having an unbelievable season. Uh, Pittsburgh, you know, loses Crosby for a portion and actually somehow goes on a roll. Crosby comes back. I just feel like everybody in their division is playing really inspired hockey, you know, almost like chip on their shoulder hockey. And the Islanders need to, need to match that. They need to step up on that level. And uh, I do think a, a, a trade uh, could really help, you know, bolstering that, you know, middle six maybe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, not, not to say that I don't think they're going to ultimately make it, but uh, it, it's so close right now. Yeah, you make a really good point. When you look up and down that Metro division, maybe with outside of the Capitals, the Islanders have had the least adversity compared to the other teams. Now, sure, they've had their injuries, Cal Clutterbuck, they lose Adam Pellich for the season. But, you know, you look at some of the other storylines that have developed with these other teams, and that really brings a team together. And it looks like right now the Islanders are kind of searching for that for that thing that, that kind of pulls them all together. Last year they, they had it in terms of, you know, Tavares leaving, and that was kind of the calling card, the chip on the shoulder all year long. They're, they're struggling a little bit, it looks like, right now to recapture that for this, uh, for this final stretch of the season and hopefully the playoffs. Um, let's get let's get to your project now again for Whistle Sports, the No Days Off podcast. And, uh, you know, I think quite interestingly, we probably have a couple of examples currently on the Islanders, both team and in their system, where we know who the parents are of these young sports prodigies. Obviously, Oliver Wallstrom had a you know viral video at the time for what viral was at the time that got a lot of attention on YouTube. He ended up being on the Today Show as a young kid. Remember those uh, pictures and videos from when he got drafted a couple seasons ago? And then Kiefer Bellows making his NHL debut earlier this week. Obviously, a, a more traditional situation where his father, Brian Bellows, had a long NHL career uh, with the hometown uh, Minnesota North Stars. So um, tell us a little bit about your project and um, maybe some connections you can make from from what you've seen of with some Islander prodigies to some of the people you spoke to so far in your new, in your new show. Yeah, no, totally. So, uh, so yeah, so, so, uh, no days off. Uh, it's basically, it's based off of uh, a whistle, an existing video series. So they have a series, uh, you can find it on their YouTube or their Facebook page. It's actually one of their top performing, uh, video series where they profile the young prodigies, uh, from all different sports all over the country. And what the podcast is, is basically an extension of that show where this time, you know, I am speaking with the parents of, uh, these prodigies to kind of get that point of view, myself being uh, a young parent, uh, a huge sports fan and kind of, you know, though I, I don't expect either of my kids to, to be sports prodigies, though that would be great. Uh, I am into sports. I, I do want to push them to play team sports when they get a little older. So it's just interesting to have that parent-to-parent conversation of what it's like, you know, really balancing uh, for many of these parents, being a parent, but being their coach or their trainer and how they, you know, the sacrifices that they make in their lives to really help their kids pursue their dreams. Uh, so it's been really interesting so far. You know, some of the conversations so far, I spoke with Sharice uh, uh, Williams, who is uh, Mikey Williams, who is a 14-year-old top basketball prospect uh, in the country. I spoke with her. I spoke with uh, Brian Carson, whose son Tanner is a 13-year-old baseball phenom uh, who's made a lot of headlines. Uh, and actually, this week's episode that's coming out, uh, I'm speaking with uh, Rob Galchuk, who actually played some 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 D1 hockey. Uh, he played uh, some uh, AHL, uh, CHL hockey, and his son, uh, Caden Galchuk, uh, his video went viral. Uh, it was maybe I'm going to say about four or five months ago. I don't know if you saw this, but, uh, you know, he was training in his garage, uh, uh, and he was kind of stick-handling on a balance board. 
you know, he's, he's nine years old and he was stick handling on a balance board and the video went viral. I think, uh, you know, NHL.com, you know, posted it and retweeted it at ESPN. Uh, so, you know, it's, I'm talking with Rob about Caden and kind of just what it's like, you know, raising someone who now has a little bit of uh, momentum or expectations on his shoulders uh, and, you know, how they balance his school life uh, and his, you know, young career so far. Uh, so, yeah, it's been, it's, been really, uh, it's been a really fun project so far. And these relationships take on so many different forms. I think, um, you know, you could have scenarios where the parent hasn't necessarily been in sports at all, yet their uh, son or daughter has a unique passion and talent for something. And then other ones where, you know, they're being crafted and molded at a very young age because they show a lot of interest in doing something. And they have a, a coach who lives in their home as their parent that could kind of really help them cultivate, you know, that talent. I think, you know, obviously, tra- uh, tragically, we saw that relationship between Kobe Bryant and his daughter in terms of she going to him and saying, this is what I want to do, and him being among the best in the world. You know, what, what kind of what can you tell us about the conversations you've had so far about those different dynamics, depending on what the background was of the parent and how they how they were able to cultivate that talent for their son or daughter? Totally. Yeah. I mean, so that's the thing. You know, some of these parents, you know, I've asked almost like our you know, are you trying to vicariously live through your kid at some, you know, to some extent where, you know, maybe you didn't make it all the way and you want them to. So I'm always trying to, you know, see where that desire is coming from. But for the most part, it sounds like in, in, in the majority of the conversations, it really is the kid uh, who has this passion for it and this drive and really the parents doing whatever they can to help cultivate that. And, you know, for example, you know, I spoke with a father, you know, Joe Ballard, his daughter, Bella Ballard, you know, she's 14 and, uh, you know, is in the U.S. soccer program now. uh, And they moved from Hawaii to California just so she could pursue in a better position playing soccer. Like a lot of these parents are really willing to, you know, put themselves in, in whatever position to help their kids you know, accomplish their goals. And obviously it's so hard to make it professional, uh, professionally in any of these sports, but these parents are, are, are noticing a, a, a natural skill level in their kids, uh, but also B that desire. And I think it's that combination of the two. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've spoken with, you know, parents of, of kids who are only 10 years old and, and I'm like, do you think that's too young? Do you get nervous that, you know, what if all of a sudden they change interest? You know, a lot of kids go to their teens and they change interests, but you know, many of these parents feel like these kids, you know, they have a desire, they have a passion. Uh, and if they're that dedicated at such a young age, they, you know, they, they don't see them, them wavering, uh, you know, anytime soon. And, and it's funny, you know, if you listen to this episode coming up, you know, I, I mentioned Oliver Wallstrom uh, and, you know, the idea of, you know, that video going viral when he was young and ultimately on his draft day, uh, that was something that was being played. And you had, uh, you know, Pierre Maguire, people are talking about that video uh, when I was drafted him. And I said to, you know, to Rob, is that what your hope is for Caden? Is that one day when he was drafted, you know, they're playing that video uh, during his draft day and kind of having a good laugh at it. And obviously, you know, that would be the dream. Uh, so, yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting, the different types of parents and, uh, you know, parenting situations. Some of them also have siblings. I spoke with uh, Lucretia Peterman, whose son, uh, 17, Travell Mullen, who is a uh, lockdown cornerback, uh, who's probably going to go uh, play college and then pro. Uh, and he's got several older brothers, one of which, Trayvon Mullen, is a rookie cornerback for the Raiders this season. And, you know, what's it like being in a household of multiple siblings? So, you know, every story has been different. So it's been, it's been really, uh, yeah, it's been really interesting. And I think if, if you're a sports fan or if you're a parent or, you know, or both, uh, it definitely has to some appeal. Tyler Gilden, Whistle Sports, the No Days Off podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Tyler Gilden. 
And um, I wanted to see your thoughts on this, because I think there's been a lot of questions on, on whether or not the United States gets it right when it comes to development of young athletes and the fact that right now it's becoming so specialized that they show you know, an interest in a sport at eight, nine, ten years old, you know, they'll have hitting coaches and pitching coaches and, and just very specialists, whereas, you know, a lot of other countries look at it in terms of making it as fun as possible for as long as possible, letting kids do as many different variety of sports and things they like, and then waiting to that, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old age to start to really narrow down, you know, what their skill set is going to be and what their focus is going to be moving forward into their more, uh, you know, mid to late teen years. So uh, not to say that this is something you've touched on already. Maybe it's something you want to talk about later on as you, as this podcast series develops even further, but do you have any thoughts on, on that subject matter? Yeah, you know, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting point, and, you know, everyone I've spoken to has been, you know, uh, in the U.S. Uh, so far. Uh, but, yeah, you know, if you watch the series, you know, on, on, on Whistle's YouTube, you, you do see that pretty much every single one of these, you know, young athletes has a multitude of trainers. They have a lot of different trainers. So I think there is a lot of the fact that, you know, they are uh, they're recognizing a talent and a, and a skill set, and parents are putting everything they have towards helping those kids you know, get ahead and develop as much as possible. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. You know, some of the parents have said very clearly that they still want to keep it fun, that they make sure that they're keeping it fun for their kid because if it just becomes purely, you know, uh, almost like a, a chore and a job at a young age, then they might lose interest. And then that they also, they might hold a grudge because, you know, I've said to some of these parents, what if the kid doesn't make it, uh, you know, and then they feel like their childhood was somewhat wasted. Uh, and a thing that, you know, a couple of the parents have said is that they've made sure that they've kept it fun, where at the end of the day, they still want their kids to be excelling and uh, ultimately reach their goals. But they, they're still, a lot of these, you know, about 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old, they're still kids and they want them to have fun. Uh, uh, but, yeah, you know, it definitely seems like having somewhat of a means to surround yourself with the proper trainers has been able to give some of these kids a leg up. Uh, you know, I do think playing multiple sports, some of the kids have mentioned playing multiple sports, and that's been something that they agree on. But one major thing, that a theme that a lot of the parents have said is, you know, how important team sports is at a young age. And even if the kid goes on to eventually play an individual sport, you know, the, the life lessons, and I fully agree with this as well, and I intend to have my kids play sports, uh, you know, when they're of age, is I do think team sports, you learn so much about, you know, winning uh, and losing gracefully both, uh, you know, uh, listening to coaches, listening to teammates, being part of something. I do think that's really important. Uh, even if your kid ultimately does not go on to be a pro athlete, like 99% of, of kids, you know, do, uh, I do think playing that team sports uh, are important. Is uh, your goal or plan to only focus in on kind of current, um, you know, young prodigies that are in the midst of achieving their goals and then, you know, three, four, five years from now, we start actually seeing them uh, play in their sport at their college or maybe even professional level, or, or is there going to be maybe a look back um, to talk to the parents who, you know, who's um, son or daughter, you know, made this journey and either decided that it wasn't for them or pursued it to a professional career, or maybe in situations where it, it really had an impact negatively on, on the relationship after several years. Is there, is there plans to kind of take a look back at um, the good, the bad, the ugly uh, with parents that have kind of gone through the entire process of of uh, being a father or mother to a sports prodigy? Uh, I mean, I think those are all 
definitely interesting uh, angles and, and, and potential ways that you know it could expand. Uh, I think right now, because it's basically kind of branching off of the existing series that is profiling young kids today, uh, my guess would be, you know, for at least, you know, the, the, you know, I'd say probably at least a season or so, or you know, I guess however podcasts get break, broken down, I don't know if it's technically considered multiple seasons uh, or not, but I'd say at least for, uh, for now, it's probably still going to focus on the current kids right now and what parents are dealing with. Cause it's also got to remember that I think the day and age you live in also plays a huge impact. You know, a big thing sure. today is social media. And, you know, for example, something like, you know, with, with Caden Galichuk, all of a sudden, you know, he's on, this video goes viral and, and he's getting more eyeballs than he's ever gotten before on him and, and possibly scouting him at a young age. So I do think I would love to listen to, uh, uh, you know, speak to some parents of, of, you know, existing athletes or, you know, like you said, you know, parents whose kids eventually went a different way and didn't make it. I think that expands the universe, but there is something about the current landscape we live in uh, and social media. And even some of these parents that I've spoken to, because every parent I speak to, it's, it's after their episode on their kid is already aired. And a lot of these parents will say, you know, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because they, you know, whistle puts out these profiles on their kids and they, gain a lot of, you know, notoriety and fans, but, you know, it's also the internet and there's also always haters out there too. So it's also, they're teaching their kids how to kind of gauge, you know, their expectations when it comes to social media. And a lot of these parents run their kids' social media accounts and they kind of filter a bit what they see or they have to explain to them why, you know, why there's so many angry people sometimes because of course, you know, with social media, especially, you know, Twitter and YouTube comments, there's always going to be people out there who kind of, uh, have, you know, anger, you know, they project their anger onto you. So I do think there's something to say about these current days, but sure, I'd love to, you know, speak with, you know, current pro athletes now and their parents and, you know, what it took for them as well and somewhat compare. I think that would be cool to, to definitely do, uh, you know, in, in later, I guess, iterations of uh, the podcast. Well, there's no anger on Isles Twitter, as I as I know that you know uh, that that is uh, the one very, safe safe area of, of Twitter. <laughs> very zen. Isles Twitter is it's very zen. You know, it's it's definitely a place. It, it, you know, it's so funny because uh, and and I you know I laugh at it, but you know I contribute to it too sometimes. But sometimes I happen to just be like, let me wait till after the game. Like, why do I have to tweet something after right after a goal? But it's like you have this like spur. You know, you just want to do it right away. And so sometimes I'll just write it down in, in the notepad app and not send the tweet. And then I feel a lot better about that. Because I got to write it out and read it, but I didn't necessarily have to put it out into the universe. Oh, it's fun. Uh, trust me. I'm, uh, uh, maybe one of these days I'll be, I'll be out. But right now I'm very much in the thick of it. So uh, very, very smart. Maybe I'll take you up on that advice. Um, I guess last one, you know, last one for me is, you know, as, as a new parent, and I know you have uh, – two young kids as well. It is hard enough sometimes getting out the door to go to a playground, let alone trying to juggle your social life, your professional life, your relationship with your significant other, and then also try to raise a sports prodigy. Just how about the commitment from the parent side of things, trying to you know do what's right, do what's best for their son and daughter, and give them every potential opportunity, but that's got to be a big time strain uh, them on them personally, financially as well, uh, to try to make these dreams happen. Yeah, I mean, all these parents, and, and, and I've asked them, you know, you know, point blank, you know, do you have any regrets or, you know, the sacrifices? And, and for the most part, you know, I very few regrets. You know, most of them really 
they they believe in in their kid and they want to do everything they can and you know some of them are working multiple jobs and you know some of them have adjusted you know their current careers and they're all in on their kid and it's crazy because you know it, i mean not crazy but it's really you know uh, admirable i mean i you know, I, like you said, I have, I have a one-year-old and a one-month-old. I mean, you know, my kid walks and I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. And I, I couldn't imagine actually sitting and watching my kid in the stands really excelling at something. And I'm sure I would also want to do everything I could to help them. You know, if my kid came up to me and said, I really want to, you know, be a professional hockey player. And obviously, I mean, I'm sure a lot of kids say that, but if, if you legitimately had the skill set and, and the desire, you know, maybe I would, you know, change around my life a little bit. I don't know. You know, I'm not in that situation, but it's interesting talking to these parents and seeing, you know, what they're willing to do and whether it's relocating where they live or, you know, taking a different job or, you know, taking a demotion because they work less hours so they're more available for their kid or working a second job to make more money because they have to pay to get their kid into a certain academy to play more. Uh, so, yeah, it, it really is these parents. Uh, it's admirable. But that's a thing where, you know, that's been around forever. You know, I look at, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, when he called his mom, you know, you're the real MVP or how much LeBron has ever thanked his mom or any hockey players said, you know, hockey moms at 6 a.m. taking me to the skating rink. You know, that's, I think that's a lot of what parents just do in general, uh, you know, is supporting their kids. But yeah, I think, you know, when, when a kid goes pro, a lot of it has to do with the parents and, you know, you, you know, uh, Kiefer Bellis with, with Brian Bellis and you know, how much he was, you know, raised up around the rink. You hear that all the time. You know, a lot of these kids, you know, they were born and raised, you know, at the rink or at the court or on the field. Uh, and yeah, I do think, you know, the parents' influence uh, plays a large role. And that's why it's been really uh, you know, uh, insightful talking to these parents and seeing, you know, how much that they've put in. Some of them were former players themselves or played at a collegiate level, so they understand the commitment level, but they also are realistic to some of them where they know, you know, listen, my kid, I played, you know, at a collegiate level, and my kid right now is better than I was. So I do think if I gave him, you know, X, Y, and Z tools, he could make it pro. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's uh, you know these, a lot of these parents are, are very close to their kids and uh, they're their biggest fans and advocates and they want to just do whatever it takes to hope you know to give their kid every chance they can to eventually you know go pro or you know play in the Olympic Games or you know whatever it is you know for their sport. Well, Tyler, we wish you a lot of luck on this project. Sounds great, extremely interesting for for everyone, especially those of us. Uh, that are young parents or parents that are uh, in the midst of this already with their sons and daughters from Whistle Sports, the No Days Off podcast. And uh, we wish you the best of luck, especially also wish you luck with your Jets, Islanders, Mets fandom. Uh, they, special, they, of course, uh, all three franchises need it. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the, of the, of the show and the you know, commitment level that you and really all the you know, Islanders podcast hosts put in because uh, it, it's crazy to think uh, a year or two ago, there was very little Islander content out there and uh, I scraped for whatever I could. And now there's, uh, I think there's a podcast every day of the week uh, on the Islanders. There's so many articles. It's, uh, it's great. I spend a lot of time uh, taking in Islander content. And uh, when Islanders win, I really like to take in the content when they lose, uh, you know, not as much, but uh, I definitely uh, spend a lot of time and I really appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for having me on. And episodes uh, uh, drop every Thursday. Uh, it's on, uh, you know, the typical spots, Spotify, Apple, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, you name it, it's there. And I really do appreciate you taking uh, the time to have me jump on. Thanks again to Tyler Gilden uh, for jumping on and best of luck to him and everyone at Wilson Sports uh, for that with that podcast. Uh, last thing for me before I go, uh, got to love MSG Networks and what they're doing 
with Brendan Burke on uh, filming these uh, reaction shots of him uh, announcing the Islander goals. So much fun. He gave us a little bit of an inside peek about how they set that up, but very cool production at the end of the games to have the view of uh, Brendan doing the games, uh, doing the call, and then having the highlight underneath it. Um, I just actually just started recently following Brendan Burke on Instagram as well. I uh, don't know why I wasn't previously, but he you know, did a bit of a Q&A and directed people there on Twitter, and I went there. He puts a lot of effort into his Instagram account. Uh, I think this is some of the, you know, another benefit of having a, a uh, team broadcaster in his mid-30s. One, you know, he might be here for 30, 35 years, uh, which is pretty cool. But also, you know, he's going to be right on the um, cutting edge when it comes to technology and uh, giving you a little bit of an inside flavor to uh, what his life is like being now the broadcaster and being on the road. And, um, you know, he had tough shoes to fill with, with Harry Rose. I know a lot of people think Harry Rose was a Ranger broadcaster, but he was with the team a long, long time uh, with the Islanders. And he's one of the best that does it, especially those of us that know his work with the Mets. And uh, to go to Jigs from Howie to Brendan, uh, we are blessed. And uh, we continue to be uh, blessed every single game. Very lucky to have him. Very lucky to have Butch, uh, who's always a lot of fun. And we look forward to his big day coming up on February 29th when they raise 91 to the rafters. So that'll do it for this episode of PT Isles. To follow this show and every Lighthouse Hockey podcast, follow the account on Twitter at LHH Podcast. You get this show. You get Islanders Anxiety with Dan and Mike. You get Isles Buzz with Dan and Noel. Noel has also done a great job recently with his Lighthouse Look Back podcast, a great, really insightful interview with Brad Delgarno talking about his journey in the NHL and the early 90s Islanders. And and of course, you have Islanders award winners and my favorite Islanders games as well. So be sure to check that out on Twitter as well as LighthouseHockey.com. We'll talk to you next week, Islanders country. Good night. 